come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. I am your polter guide, Kinsey. I'm your polter guide, Donna. I'm your polter guide, Mac. And we have with us a returning. <laughs> I'm <guest>. returning. <laughs> Long time, second time. <laughs> Long time, second time. Cast Lark, hello. Missed you all. <laughs> <laughs> and we're glad to have you back with us to discuss 1984 Firestarter. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm. and, oh yeah. Yes. Spoiler alert. Uh, your polter guides have opinions. And <laughs> so, yeah, we are definitely going to get into it. So let's go ahead and start with, did you like it? Or had you seen it before? Did you like it? Did you not like it? I have seen it before. I have read the book. It's one of my favorites of his. No, I'm not even going to quantify it as early work. It's one of my favorite of King's work. Um, and yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, if you had asked me, I would have told you that Kurt Russell um, was the father uh, because David, no, David Keith, David yes. Keith, yep. David and Keith's Kurt right. Russell are the same person in my memory at all times. Uh, but yes, I, I like this movie. I like the book. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if Zac Efron can do a good job with it. All right. Uh, I had uh, I'd seen this before. I'd watch this all the time as a kid. If you grew up in the 80s and had cable, they showed this, it seemed like all the time. I liked it. I've never read the book. I liked it then. I like it now. Uh, I have some caveats, but we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> um, yes, I, I will second Donna's David Keith is Kmart brand Kurt Russell. Uh, you know, we challenge you to taste the difference. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. No, you, you, I'm playing my book. I'm good. Kenzie's a, a name brand Kurt Russell. I, I am a name brand gal. Kurt Russell. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not, Cheerios or nothing. I'm not um, a great value Kurt Russell. Sorry about that. I'm going to have a segment on evolution and, and ecology and niches <laughs> later on. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, I have no particular memory of having seen it in the past. Uh, I didn't love it. Uh, I think there is like other than George C. Scott, I don't think any of the performers are doing anything wrong. I don't think the movie's particularly well made, especially in the technical aspects. There's a lot of ADR things that pull me right out of it. Uh, the dialogue's not very good. I don't think they got a great performance out of Drew Barrymore, whereas concurrently Steven Spielberg could have. Um, so a very flawed movie that was two hours. I enjoyed more than I would have working for a living. So <laughs> there it is. Uh, I want to come down in the middle of the road. I remember seeing bits and pieces of this movie for decades. Cause it used to always be like on TNT, especially around the holidays for some reason, like around Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> uh, but this last classic, time was a classic, classic holiday movie. It's about family. Down. <laughs> The importance uh, of family. Yeah. Um, but this was the first time I saw it as an adult all the way through. And I didn't love it, but I will say that it's an experience to watch and that this movie could definitely, for a lot of reasons, not be made now. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of an experience to watch like an eight-year-old child on the set with actual fireballs going around and just imagining like, <laughs> what that day on set must have been like. Uh, so that alone, I just couldn't look away. So I'm just like, oh my God, she's so close to that fireball. And, and so, yeah. immediately after the Twilight Zone incident, like that was a year yes. earlier where everybody's like, yeah. you know, I don't know why I've made a face for the podcast <laughs> listeners. My fellow podcasters understood the the post-Landis face I was making. We, we got the nonverbal communication. Oh yeah, we got it. Uh, before we get, you know, deep dive into this imdb mac and donna's nemesis want you to know that what this is about is a couple who participated in a it's about the danger of intravenous drug okay and lamarckian genetics all right i mean they definitely are going to disagree with you donna just so we're clear 
but it is a couple who participated in a potent medical experiment, gain telepathic ability, and then have a child who is pyrokinetic. Not Not good. I am not going to argue with IMDb this week. Yeah, granted, they their uh, knowledge of what is and is not Kira Knightley and Natalie Portman is a fluid thing. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's something they'll have to answer for when when they reach the next plane of existence. Um, but uh, they the, I had a huge organization project in grad school, uh, like a classification project this this week, and it was all about uh dvds and blu-rays and they were helpful to me so imdb gets a pass a one-week pass but you're on notice (laughs) i see so your relationship with imdb is a transactional one absolutely Mm. if if it does things i want them to do then i will forgive them their transgressions but it has a half-life. It, it doesn't last forever. It's not like, oh, the, it's what have you done for me lately? And since they helped me through an all-nighter literally last night, <laughs> they're going to make it through the hour without my objections. Max riding that high is what he's saying. He's riding that high and he's just, take the win, IMDb. Take the win. Yeah, I see how it is. I, I mentioned their their grand errors in, in just understanding human faces, but, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to bring it up a lot this week. I brought it up twice. I won't do it a third time. Mac, they're just that's ab- the Mac Boyle guarantee. <laughs> Mac, they're just about organizing and putting dates in. You know, faces or right? it's not their strong suit. They're working on it, but yeah, I, George Lucas couldn't tell the difference. So why 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 should <laughs> why should IMDb? That's the defense I have. For that. <sighs> okay, so back to Firestarter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we had a little bit of an off mic discussion about this, but man, they say daddy way too much in that movie. Too much. And it's it's a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. It's verging on the uncomfortable, perhaps crossing over into uncomfortable. In, in pitching quotes, I said the word daddy four times, and that was six times too many. Yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned that this is one of my favorite Stephen King books. And, um, a lot of times it's kind of hard to make a good, uh, perfect transition from book to movie. And that's because you're going from a, a text-based medium to a visual medium. And some things don't transition real well. For instance, one of the interesting things about Andy's power is that sometimes he can set up what he calls an echo. It's an inadvertent bad result of him pushing people and basically it's like um he he pushes somebody and the the person he pushes will kind of make a connection between what he's asked them to do and some thought in their head and that thought will then start to kind of amplify and amplify and amplify and basically he'll set up an obsession in that person that can eventually become deadly to them now that does kind of become an important plot point in the book, but that's not something that's going to translate real well to a visual medium. And so they just didn't do it. And I don't blame them for that. The, the, the movie worked without that thing in, in the movie. And I don't blame them for that. So yeah, that definitely just describing that. That's definitely one of those in the book moments that make complete sense to you. You're like, okay, yeah, I can see that totally being a problem, but translating that to screen Unless it is spelled out specifically mm-hmm. and you're having a lot of exposition of someone doing that, that it's yeah. not it's not going to work. But one thing they left out that I really think the movie suffered for was why the shop attacked and killed Vicky when they did. Because mm-hmm. it was just it just seemed random and for no reason. And it's something that. I I think the movie suffered for. So I'm just going to start off because it was the inciting incident. I'm just going to tell you why they did. So Andy and Vicky had been under observation the whole time because it was such a weird thing to the shop that they married. And it was interesting that they had a kid. Um, And so Andy and Vicky knew they were under observation. And basically as long as they just stayed put and didn't do anything, everything was fine. Everything was fine. But what 
happened that triggered the shop to attack was that Charlie went and spent the night with a friend. And so basically, to the shop's mind, Charlie disappeared. They didn't know where Charlie was, and they thought that something was up. They thought Vicky and Andy were making a move. So Charlie disappeared, and that's why the shop attacked. So they, they, they attacked, they tortured, and killed Vicky in order to find out where Charlie was. And then they went to go get Charlie. And then Andy got home, found Vicky dead, um, and, and was able to get Charlie before the shop took her. And it was just one of those really sad, you know, like if the shop would have just waited, Charlie would have come home and everything would have been fine and none of that would have happened. So I think that was a story point that got left out of the movie. And also kind of makes the inciting incident really incomprehensible because I couldn't quite piece together why Keith David, David Keith was uh, fleeing the house where they were at and going to some other location. And I, I, to the point where I was like, Oh, I must've just spaced out and missed some connective tissue there, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I did. I think it was just, okay, we're at a different place now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, even just a conversation between Martin Sheen and some random shop dude going they're they're making a run mm-hmm. for it. Move in. Would have, yeah. would have fixed it. Yeah. You know, we didn't even have to know the backstory about Charlie's just spending the night. We didn't even have to know that, but just, just something telling us that the shop had taken action for a reason. But you could even have a little bit of pathos there. Cause the whole idea is that Charlie wants to be a normal kid. And then so mm. like the parents are like, okay, like I really want to, you know, go to my friend's house. And they say, okay, well, be careful. You know what, you know, you, you, when you get a little, you know, just no fires, no fires. Yeah. That's the rule at other people's houses. Um, <laughs> if breakfast table's fine. You, you could have had <laughs> her going, oh boy, I get to be a normal kid for a while. And then, you know, cut to the uh-huh. the, the status display board at, at, at the shop. And they're like, uh-oh, we lost the fire kid. Let's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have added 30 seconds to a movie and made it far, far more cogent of an experience. Exactly. So I just wanted to get that out there because it's always bothered me that they didn't include that just little tidbit of information in there. Yeah. And I feel like it would have given just a little bit more screen time to Vicky, who's killed off so quickly and whose powers are just as like I imagined, like uh, valuable to the government and any asset in secret forces like reading minds that's an incredible valuable tool and that's just written mm-hmm. off in light of just being like well like her husband can push and that's very exciting like yes persuasion is a very valuable tool but like espionage people would kill for vicky so it would have mm-hmm. gone it'd been cool to see her just explore her powers a bit more on screen before she's killed off in a closet <laughs> exactly um, not, not only can he push, he can convince people of really stupid things like, oh, a five hundred dollar bill. That's something that happens. OK, I'll take you wherever you want to go. I had to look it up in Wikipedia. There hasn't been a five hundred dollar bill since 1934. And even then they weren't illegal tender. So I had a long talk with myself about how I was not going to be an obnoxious in the book person. But the five hundred dollar bill. There's there's a whole bit about the $500 bill, about how they actually gave the cabbie an actual $500 bill so they could acquire that bill. Because people, for like days after, people would look at that dollar bill and it would suddenly change to a $500 bill in their hand. And, the, you know, people would be like, oh, holy shit. And for, for days, it retained the power to look like a $500 bill to anyone who looked at it, which is weird because that's not how Andy's power works. He works on one person, but whatever. Mm. He convinced the dollar bill that it was a $500 bill. Yeah. He, got, he went into George Washington's mind and said, you are now $500. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So clearly I failed to work on my own mind about Donna. Do not be obnoxious about this. Do not be obnoxious about this. You've seen how that works when people are obnoxious about this. <laughs> Do not be obnoxious about this. Donna, but I think your book corner is lovely and I like your book Thank corner. You. And, you Thank know, you. it's one of those the, this book has always been always on one of my, well, do I want to read it? Do I not want to read it? And so like, I like hearing people that have read it and just the differences mm-hmm. that from as much as I, I saw, as I've seen this movie, just 
differences and how it works and how it's better. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm never mad at Donna's book corner. So Max said something about how they didn't get a good performance out of Drew Barrymore. And, um, and yeah, you're right. This is, you know, right about the same time as uh, E.T. where, I mean, she was brilliant in E.T. And you're right. The scene where she gets out of the kitchen chair, it's like you can almost see her going, okay, I get out of the kitchen chair. Now I puff up and now I advance and, and now I yell. Right. And now I have dialogue. I am a child. <laughs> and this is, I'm going to talk to you like this. I'm upset, oh, daddy. God. I will say her ability to cry on command is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So many times yeah. she just had tears in her eyes and on a dime, like activated that, which some actresses can still not do to this day. So mm -hmm. credit where credit is due there. Absolutely. But yeah, it's a bit wooden for sure. <laughs> right. And, and she's so much better when there's not dialogue. So I think it's a weakness in the script and the direction because like the sequence at the end where she's just setting fire to everybody, she's pretty good there. But the yeah. rest of the movie leading up to it, it's like, oh, okay. Okay, but I, I know you she, can do better. She has got that combination of grief and anger and the, you know, just the the emotion, the combination of emotions that you would have in mm -hmm. that moment is just bam, she's got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I also have to wonder, and I haven't read this book, but is this when she was on her binge drinking? Because there's a section of movies of yeah and i think it's this is one of them that it's in reconcilable differences this one and something else where she is sauced up pretty good because that's one of the whole things is that she started drinking fairly early fairly yeah. early yeah she was only eight and that's why i want to say no but then again it's drew barrymore so i can't say conclusively yeah. right yeah now, I, I do know that she was like the one of the youngest people to hang out in Studio 52. So mm -hmm. everything is a possibility if that is also a fact. Well, I mean, yeah. I, if I remember right, she was in rehab by the time she was like 13 or something. So possible. Wow. Yeah. So that's just that's just I'm, I'm only throwing that out there. Just like, is that during this time? Because I didn't think she, she was eight when she had her first drink. OK, so she could have. In theory, George C. Scott handed her her first drink. Like that, that right there. Oh, God. That tracks. I love how mm -hmm. the set is just like, we can't have Drew Barrymore on set all the time because of child labor laws. And we'll have like uh, <laughs> a replacement for her that fits her shape and size because she's too young. But nobody cares about this child drinking oh, to right. intervene. Like, what the fuck? Drinking <laughs> near open flames. Yeah. Let's totally let's, fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why they filmed this <sighs> in North Carolina was that one is that some kind of no man's land a lawless frontier well, where we can just feed children was, liquor it was cheaper there was like a lot of ways yeah. to cut corners and i know mm. this is going to make you cringe matt because of the twilight zone stuff but yeah mm. it was basically for them to cut corners and weirdly enough which i would have loved to have seen this version of it carpenter we, was I, carpenter was supposed to do this film yeah. but the thing bombed and they were like, mm. so I would have loved to have seen how this would have been so much different in his hands. 100%. It, it also feels just as uh, David Keith, Keith David is Kmart brand, Kurt Russell. We would have got feels, Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. No, no. Believe mm -hmm. that. Believe that. He would have been, he would have shown up. But uh, it also, also Keith David. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they both would have shown up. The two things I really wanted. <laughs> It's um, imagine a set in which you had David Keith and Keith David. Actually, there would be a rift Russell. in space time and the movie would implode in on itself. <laughs> Russell. Um, you would just spend all your time going, ah, uh, ah, uh, um. All three of you, come on. You. you it's a Spider-Man meme. They're all pointing at each other. <laughs> oh, God. The just add Val Kilmer. The, yeah. the hair. The, the one with the hair. No, not you. Uh, but like with that and Tangerine Dream score, this also feels like trying to imitate the sounds and, and shape of a Carpenter film without Carpenter. Would you say it's great value, Carpenter? I would. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I go for Kmart brand, but, you know, great value. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, a plus brand. Um, yeah. You know, though, John Carpenter really gets Stephen King. As I think back on the John, like he did Christine, 
Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Christine mm-hmm. is one of the better yeah. Stephen King movies. I'd say I put him, Darabont, um Flanagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mick Garris to a certain degree in his way. Mick Garris, uh, if you're doing it made for TV. Right. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 If you're uh, if you need a made for TV event film, Mick right. Garris is your man. And then uh Stanley Kubrick pointedly doesn't get king. But to other effect, mm-hmm. I'm not going to start that argument again, Donna. <laughs> I, I can is, see the is, face. This is another we, one of those. I wish we had a video feed for the entire physical reaction. We did me. The Shining years ago. We don't need to go back. A two-parter. It was a two-parter. We did. Yeah. It was a two-parter. <laughs> it, it, Cass, you may not be able to make it on the elliptical if you listen to the two-parter of The Shining because it is <laughs> Just a fall off. It's it's. It's a lot. It's fantastic, but it's a lot. <laughs> so if John Carpenter had directed this, what do you think would be one of the things he would have changed in the film? Well, I, I think he would have done his own score, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. Because and, and I thought I, I think I saw it on IMDb. It might have been Wikipedia or something that Tangerine Dream didn't really score the movie. They just did some music, handed it off uh, to the director and said, eh, use what you want or don't. And so it was just kind of jammed in there. Um, I think we'd have seen a lot more of the shop and it'd have been a lot more gnarly for. Yeah, because the shop, I think they were going for that thing where it looks beautiful and it looks really benign because nothing that's so pretty and bright and full of life and greenery can be bad. Yeah. I think that's what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And they didn't they didn't quite nail that. Um I think I think the I think Carpenter would have would have managed to nail that. Well, for instance, you've got you've you've already got it. A plantation already has that baked into it. It's beautiful, yeah. but it's sinister. And I think Carpenter would have got that. Yeah. Donald Pleasance would have been Redbird. Actually, there is, I can't remember who, it's not great, I'll tell you right now. Who It's not, Car- yeah, it wouldn't have been Car- better. Who Carpenter <laughs> wanted, because it was basically, I can't think of the actor's name, but he was basically like a cowboy from like the 50s and 60s. And I was like, oh, John, holy fuck, that's not great, buddy. But no, <laughs> great, um, better than George C. Scott. Yeah. At least you're getting there. Yeah. Pleasance would have been Martin Sheen. Mm, totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. Or, or twist, Art Carney. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. But with this, no, this would still, it wouldn't have been a, oh, I can't think of his name who he did two of, of, of Carpenter's apocalypse trilogy. Um, uh, the main guy in big trouble, little China. And he's also in Prince of darkness. I can't think of the actor's name. I can see his face. He's the older man. Is it Val Kilmer? I always assume everyone's Val Kilmer. <laughs> no, no, no. This I is like facial blindness yeah. for like that yeah. era of white dudes. Yeah. No, no, no. This is the older. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you were the executive that got Keaton fired and Kilmer hired. Like, oh, any white guy can be Batman. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that broke me, Cass. I was going to say he's, he's the older Asian man. The hell? No. So probably not Val Kilmer is what I'm hearing. Yeah, but he could have been. I don't Carney. remember his name, but I, I know who you mean. You yeah. know who he, I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, is it the guy? Yeah, I can see his face too. He's. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in so many stuff. Like, I want to see. He was like the maitre d in the Chinese restaurant on Seinfeld. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, David, uh, he's just in uh, the the new Michelle Yeoh movie. Uh, oh, he's got oh, the shit. girl with um, green eyes line. Is, is it yeah. James Hong? Yes, yes. I believe so. Yes, yes. 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 We got there, team. Yay. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, go us. Uh, but no, I think that would have. I think we would have pockets of diversity. In the casting, mm-hmm. and my head canon is it wouldn't have been Barrymore that would have been cast; have been Heather O'Rourke, since they were in running for this role. Oh. Which that is wild. Like uh, that was one of the things I was reading: how much her and Barrymore fought over same roles at that yeah. time. And this was one of them that they both were in contention for. This one, uh, Poltergeist and ET, they were yeah. like the 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 last competitors for all three of those roles yeah wow it makes sense i mean like if you're just looking at types those are the two yeah yeah mm-hmm. pretty well pretty little blonde girls mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, that I think can, that, I, that can theoretically act yeah, in the right circumstances. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think that Carpenter might have leaned in a bit more to like Charlie's psychology because there's a lot of cool moments where you think the director is trying to show that like Charlie is angry. Charlie wants to misbehave. But then it's like, oh, no, I didn't mean it, daddy. I didn't mean it. And it's like, no, we, we saw the way it was framed. You meant it. You wanted to cause harm. But then you felt bad afterwards. But it doesn't really go in there. It makes it seem as if she's like helpless and doesn't have any, any agency. And to an extent, the powers are super strong and she's having a hard time controlling it. So I get that. But I would have loved to see Carpenter kind of work his like the thing logic of just being like, well, how much do we trust that Charlie isn't a little bit sinister. I think that would have been a cooler to watch play out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the movie yeah. would have been better edited if Carpenter. Yeah. Had oh, involved. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> All right. So I, I have been, so we've kind of been dancing around this issue here. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about uh, George C. Scott's uh, Rainbird. Yeah. Let's talk about Rainbird. <sighs> Is it Rainbird or Redbird? I can't remember. Uh, that was my Rainbird. main name. Rainbird, okay. <laughs> Rainbird. Yeah. I knew I knew one of them was one and one of them was the other. I, I conflated the two in my head. I may have said Redbird earlier. That's and I apologize. It's all right. Yeah. So as I said, I've watched this film all the time as a child. I always thought they said rain burn, like rain, you know, like like Ray, kind of like Ray Bradbury, like a Ray Burn. Yeah. I never, it wasn't until this watch. That I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm just gonna come out and say it. George C. Scott is playing red face in this, uh-huh. and you can there are certain shots you can see the bronzer, and we're not Oof. even gonna get into the outfits that he wore. It is it is 100 red face, and yeah, that turquoise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just showing up. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, turquoise showing up. That coat when he comes out of the car, like mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh man, I was like. Uh, yeah billy and i looked at each other i was like oh fuck that we both were just like oh no 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 <laughs> so yeah if donna had asked me off mic two weeks ago it's like oh what are your thoughts on rainbird i was like well i don't remember him so i don't know and she's like okay well i'll just wait and i saw the little twinkle in her eye <laughs> <laughs> like oh we'll just wait it'll be fine so uh yeah he is a, it's it's awful it's awful. Don't do that. And this is why I'm very excited for the remake coming out next month is that Michael Gray eyes is playing him. I don't know what that's going to be, how the character is going to be different, but it is an indigenous man. And Gray eyes has, he picks a lot of solid stuff. You know, he's hilarious in Rutherford Falls, uh, blood quantum. If you haven't seen that whole, oh, so good. It is so good. Like he's phenomenal in that. So I'm really, I can't wait to see what he does with this character and what is different because I know this is, this is things in his work he's conscious about. So I am so, this is, that's another reason I'm very excited about this remake. Yeah. It's weird too that, I mean, I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised, but um, that conflate the conflation of like him being red face and then being a the only one that can possibly track this girl when it's like there's this huge shop with all these resources, you know, they're operating off like basically like black market money. There's no oversight, but we need to enlist the help of this indigenous man to like track and climb trees and, and hunt the girl. And it's like that is so much tokenization i can't even mm-hmm. say it without shivering <laughs> and nobody else thought of using a dart gun yeah this entire secret organization yeah. and nobody else but the native man played by george mm-hmm. c scott thought of using a dart gun especially I mean, the the indigenous man that talks about the kong and the the enemies and, and black pajamas and it's like ah it's like oh okay oh. i'm pretty sure the indigenous person would not be like pro-america in yeah. this war that's invading a country oh, of right. indigenous people <laughs> yeah it's it's not good it's not good at all i now i will i will say this i know king is not best at not going the mystical trope so i'm not surprised that there is because that's the character he is in the book correct it is like yeah okay yeah so i'm not surprised with that aspect because king does that king knows he does that especially during this time in his work mm-hmm. he does lean into that mystical trope so that part doesn't surprise me and now granted the red face shouldn't surprise me but it's 
oh man it's still a gut punch man it, it, even now it's like oh it, it, it's particularly bad it, it's particularly bad here i want to say one thing about now i will start off by saying that stephen king is an old white man and everything that that implies uh but i do want to say the man is trying Right. Okay. He's trying, like in his novel a few years back, uh, The Outsider, um, he included a, I believe he was Mexican. I'll, I'll just say a, um, a Latino. He included a Latino character. One thing he did really well with that character was while he made that character a prominent character, he never inhabited that character. Okay, so Mm -hmm. he made that character very prominent, but he never inhabited that character, which I thought was a was a was a really good way to handle that. Like, I've never lived that experience, so I'm going to make this character prominent. I'm going to and and the, the character was handled beautifully. And I thought that was that was a way of being very respectful of that character. Um do you oh, mean yeah. like in a sense where he wasn't writing from that POV, like wasn't yes. getting into the headspace? Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. And uh, in the time that Firestarter was written, I hesitate to go so far as to say misogynistic. I, I don't think he was ever full on misogynistic. I think he was just a white man in that time period. But, you know, his his female characters, even his lead female characters, were all pretty much the same woman. In fact, he has said as much that his female characters are all his wife and um, or his daughter yeah, or his daughter. Yeah. And um, which which is frustrating as a woman who enjoys reading his work. And I feel like he's doing better now. So I will I will say he's trying. He's trying. That's that's he's not there but he's trying and I want to give him full credit for that. But when you read something that was written in the seventies or eighties, it is definitely something written by a white man in the seventies and eighties. Well, and I think think you've hit it. You've said it perfectly is that he's trying because also in the seventies and eighties, he was trying in being that inclusive, you know, Mm -hmm. it was not, you know, at that time, you know, he thinking being inclusive and not realizing, Oh, what I've been fed is tropey. Like he's, you know, so I think, I think that's the thing with him to always remember is he's evolving in right. that that once he's been yeah. told, hey, this is a problem, yeah. he's doing what he can to to work on that. And I mean, I think that's fine. I think that. I, yeah. Yeah. I've rarely seen him as willfully regressive. And I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's more like for a lot of cent- no, was it centuries <laughs> for a lot of decades. Sorry, Stephen King, you're not that old. Um, I think that he just approached uh, black characters, indigenous characters, women characters in a way where in his mind, he's like, I'm going to make them a prominent character and give them power, but didn't connect it to tokenism was just like i'm going to give them the ability to control the narrative like in his mind right just being Mm -hmm. like they can have powers they're going to be like the all-knowing presence i'm lifting them up but then not realizing that makes them um one-dimensional and i think in his later later years of writing he's realizing like okay i can have a woman character but it has to be more developed and it can't just be like the mother savior complex he's always done or like Mm -hmm. the the fortune teller maybe could be into like voodoo possibly, but also maybe you should be like the coach of a little league team or something like, like even it out of it. And I think he's slowly getting that. Right. Right. And yes, we have done the shining before, but you know, like the Scatman Crothers character. Halloran. Halloran. Yeah. Yes. You know, he did not make his way all the way to the hotel only to be killed instantly. You know, he survived and he helped them and Mm. continued on to be a prominent character, um, which is something I appreciate that Stephen King did, even though it was the trope that I don't even want to say, because I think the name is problematic, but you know, he was the trope. Absolutely. But he was, he was still a character that, you know, he was trying even anyway, this is not the defense Stephen King podcast. This is the no, but I mean, I, I think it's, it's not my schedule's all messed up. Then. <laughs> but it, it helps though. It helps to contextualize what we're talking about yes. now, especially. Yeah. So yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, and I, like I said, I've, I've, I've read him and I think it's important that we talk about that. He's trying, you know, yeah. and that he was trying then and he's trying now because he realizes that narrative has changed yep. and what, you know, it's like, okay, this is harmful. I don't want to do this anymore. Let me do this. And, 
you know, and like you said, with the outsider, I'm not going to be in his POV because right. I don't know it, but I can do. And and I never get the sense that in these attempts to try, he's looking for credit for trying. Mm-hmm. I think there there can be a, a, an undercurrent of that in some creative voices where they're like, OK, mm-hmm. I did what you asked. I will accept your praises now. And But he's just doing it and. If he fails, he fails. If he succeeds, he has nothing to fear because he'll die richer than God. Mm-hmm. Oh, one in the book comment I meant to make. Um, you know, Rainbird, did you did you have more to say about Rainbird? No, that really was it that I just mainly wanted to point out he's playing Red Face. And if you haven't seen it, just uh, if you want to see a very subtle but uh, example of it, there you go. Mm-hmm. Not as blatant as uh, the 50s and 60s, but... It's, you know, it's still there. Yeah. I don't know. Is it is it more blatant when it's one of the whitest guys who ever whited in George C. Scott? Like, okay, Patton and then Greenberg. <laughs> well, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I, it's I a mean, question. You can say, no, it's actually more subtle and I, and I will accept it. I just, I, I like. I think it's okay. So th- my answer is going to be complicated. So I'm going to just, I'm going to preface it this way. As an adult now, it is very blatant right. as mm-hmm. a child who did grow up uh, fairly traditional in that sense. I missed it mm-hmm. as an adult. It is woo woo right. woo from, as you know, Cass had mentioned the turquoise, the bronzer, uh, the coat that he had on. That is a very distinct mm-hmm. blanket pattern. Like yeah. I have seen that <laughs> a lot. Uh even the way he's wearing his hair is very right. so mm-hmm. there is a there's a lot so i that's why that's why i said my answer is a little complicated in that it's if it's subtle if you don't know what you're seeing but mm. it's very blatant once you once you know then you know and then it's you're like holy fuck because yeah i yeah. i wonder about because i mean i as somebody who's not indigenous it, I'm not attuned to that like you might be, Kenzie. But in this example, I was like, whoa. But somebody needs to fire George C. Scott right away. (laughs) I know this movie happened 37 years ago, but can we can we get anyone else? (laughs) Literally anyone else. (laughs) But but I think that's I. So to me, I think that is that is positive in the fact that now it's you see it. You know what I mean? Like right. it's, it's, mm-hmm. I think that's the positive takeaway is that, I mean, as you say that you don't have that, a lot of that experience. And now as, as an adult man, and you're watching this, you're like, Holy fuck, that's bad. We've got it. We, so I think yeah. that is, you know, I think that's also talking about progress. I think that's showing yeah. that. Yeah. And like, if I don't know if, it, if any of you watch it, but have you ever seen resident alien? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that even that show being on like on TV and having so many roles for indigenous people in a community and just like showing like just a backyard barbecue with like indigenous people is like incredibly important. And I think the more and more we have shows that like happen to say like, hey, this person is indigenous and they have a family and a society and we're going to show like snippets of their life. The more and more these things should will feel less subtle. So like, I do think there's some progress. I cannot tell you how many happy tears resident alien has made me cry as I Ah, watch it. Like there are moments that I'm like, that I like, I was like, Oh, I remember like that just takes me back. And I, there's so many like little happy little tears that just make, make me cry. And I mean, and reservation dogs is fantastic. If you, if no one's watching that, Definitely watch that Rutherford Falls. I mentioned that one earlier. Yeah, That's another, yeah. That is so funny. So funny. Just some of the stuff. So yeah, there's, it, it is definitely out there and it's so, I love seeing it. Like, uh, you know, like the sci-fi aspect, like we're here. We have never mm-hmm. left. We are still here. And so to mm-hmm. see that in sci-fi, to see that in horror, cause I mentioned blood quantum. It's, it's great. I did have a question for Donna about Rainberry before we move on from this problematic man. <laughs> Um, so I didn't read the book. So I was curious about, there's a point where Charlie's looking at him and he's just like, does my face scare you? And I, I could kind of tell like the, the makeup they use on him. It seemed like maybe they were suggesting there's some sort of disfigurement on the side of his face, but mm-hmm. I don't know, a lot of the shots, he just looked like George C. Scott. So I, yeah. I wasn't quite sure. Like, is he supposed to be like a burn victim or have some sort of like big scar from his time in the war? 
Yeah, I think um, I think the definition didn't show real well, but he he did have a, a scar on that side of his face, and then he had the white out the white eye on that side of his uh, face. Okay. Uh, but I don't think it showed really well on uh, on the TV screen. Um, so yeah, that's what he was referring to, and that's why he started wearing the eye patch to hide the white eye. Um, huh. Because I think the lens he was having an allergic reaction to the lens. Yes. Oh, the contact lens that yeah. he was wearing. Oh, well, it's yeah. actually that's actually something from the book as well. Oh, oh okay. And he started wearing a, a patch for her comfort. I did want to say something about about Rainbird. It's another it's a, it's another weird choice that they left out of the movie, or maybe they were just trying to make Rainbird a little more uncomfortable. I don't know because he kept using phrases like "you'll give her to me" and he'll say things like "she's beautiful and she's young and I want her." You know, so he kept saying these really uncomfortable phrases. And in the book, captain, the, the captain of the shop actually says, that's really gross. I don't remember what his exact phrases is, but he's like, you know, you're, that's, that's gross and that's weird. And he's like, no, no, nothing like that. It's, you know, he's, he's, he's impressed with her power and he wants to kill her. That's what he wants. He wants to kill her. He wants to kill somebody that that's power that's so powerful. And he wants to, to see the look in her eye when she dies. He, he does not have any um, sexual interest in her. I was, I was looking for a less. Well, cause see, that was going to be my question was in the book was Rainbird groomy because he no. is so fucking groomy in this delivery and script so that's why yeah. i was like oh no because i know there not- is none of that he has no interest in her like that at all in the book i literally have a note get inside of her calm oh, the yeah. fuck down george yeah um <laughs> so that's why i would you know mm-hmm. yeah exactly cast that face that you just made like, i just like looked like i vomited into my shirt for everyone listening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and maybe they left that clarification out specifically to make him creepier i don't know but there is absolutely he's got no interest in her that way at all um he it's he's got that fascination with death he's got that fascination with death of someone that's powerful and that's and that's what he's interested in with her okay okay so, so that's that's definitely okay because yeah i was like oh please don't let it be grooming oh and with with the language that he's using with her i thought it was a really odd choice not to clear that up when so. 80s martin sheen looks like the voice of reason in this film <laughs> that is a problem <laughs> that is such a problem <laughs> yeah that's also true this is martin sheen coming off the dead zone which he's off the rails he is off the rails in the dead zone (laughs) i forgot he was in the dead zone but yeah he is he's stillman in the dead zone Mm -hmm. oh my gosh so um but yeah he's not grooming her he just he just wants to kill her Oh, okay. thank goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's all. He, he just wants to murder her. It's okay. Oh, uh, oh, you're a child murderer? Come right in. <laughs> we have rules at the shop here, all right? Yeah, like, we want to kill the children. We're not going to do anything unscrupulous yeah. here. We're just, uh-huh. it's murder, death, kill all the way. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else in Firefighter yes. before we start wrapping? Okay, well, all right. What you got, Donna? I have I have two things. Right. Uh, one is a science corner, real quick. Oh, cinder doesn't cinder blocks don't burn. They ju- they just don't. They don't burn. Um, no, with that would, attitude, they won't. <laughs> they would crumble, subject them to enough heat, and the stuff holding them together will disintegrate, and they would crumble. But they won't set on fire. So uh, water also will not set on fire. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Water will not catch on fire. Um, I just thought I'd throw that out. Well, obviously, water has not been exposed to the wind machine and the Tangerine Dream score, Donna. Oh, duh. (laughs) And it's not secretly gasoline. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) So I just thought I'd mention that um, if you subject either of those things to enough heat, they will change, but they won't 
catch on fire. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge, I think. <laughs> uh, and the other thing, and this is kind of tangential to something we're going to be talking on later, and it is possibly the last time I will utter the phrase in the book, in this podcast, Andy tells Charlie to go to the Rolling Stone to tell her story. Mm -hmm. uh, that is what he tells her is the most trusted magazine to be found. And he tells her to go to the Rolling Stone. In the movie, that's not where she goes. And nope. I have never found any explanation of why they made that change. And I just am really super curious as to why. And my cynical brain says like ad placement, right? Like free advertising and a big sort of kind of blockbuster for the time period. <laughs> but that's just me. But I have a hard time imagining the New York Times editorial board going like, oh, wait, Drew Barrymore's in a Stephen King movie. We need to be a part of this. <laughs> but they have to prove it, right? Like if they're showing their, their logo yeah. and their name, they have to be like, yes, we sign off on this. Yeah, that's true too. So maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Someone got them at a cocktail arm and just like, please sign this. And then we're going to just do this in a movie. And they're like, okay. <laughs> so my, my ridiculous answer is that uh, the reason that it had to be the New York times is because Art Carney would not be seen in front of the Rolling Stone because of them damn dirty hippies. <laughs> yep. Nope. <laughs> Art Carney was like them or me, them or me. <laughs> So the alternative is the New York Times. If somebody feels that strongly about the hippies, are they going to be like, oh, well, the New York Times, that's fine. That's a good compromise. Well, that's what he reads every morning when he has his poached egg and his black coffee <laughs> and his whole wheat toast, Mac. Yeah, but Ugh. at that point, if Art Carney's throwing his Art Carney weight around, don't they end up at the Wall Street Journal? <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, the New York Times is not hippie free is the point I'm trying to make the section Fair. that art carney reads is <laughs> <laughs> just saw on the imdb trivia page how much was george c scott paid for this a one million, million u.s dollars <laughs> yeah i know oh. that's sad that's the the uh uh marlon brando and superman deal the you shouldn't but here's the money anyway <laughs> And they supplied the bronzer. I was going to say. Actually, Moses that came off the top. So he actually was more like 950,000 net. <laughs> the turquoise wasn't good if I didn't notice it. So the turquoise he had on wasn't good. So then, yeah, that's definitely, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Cass, I like that we got a couple of old boys out of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, oh, we, yeah. we were on our best behavior, your your first episode. Now this is the true us. Like, oh, I love this. It's yeah. like Cabin Unleashed. Yeah. <laughs> I have a I have an unofficial poll. <laughs> I have an okay. unofficial poll. What what is your go-to? This is this is this is too far. We got an oh boy from Cass. Oh no, what's next? <laughs> like holding my seat now. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just really curious. That is that is your your phrase, your oh boy. I guess what, so. What, I never thought about my catchphrase before. I hope it'd be more exciting than, oh boy, but, you know, I guess that's, that's where we are. Yes, there's nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong with, oh boy, being a catchphrase. What about you, Mac? Oh, oh no, is probably mine. Yeah, like if it gets to that point, just, oh, oh no. Some variation of that. I think mine is some variation of fuck. I'm just <laughs> Yeah. A lot of times I'm like, oh. Another alternative title to this podcast, the uh, Stephen King Defense Podcast and <laughs> some oh. variation of fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I've got, depending on the reaction is, oh, Jesus Christ. That's my favorite. <laughs> By the way, that is my favorite. But I did I did work at a vet clinic um, once where there, there were there, there were two there were two doctors and we actually had to have a team meeting to discuss what it meant when I said, oh, holy shit, versus what it meant when the other vet said, oh, holy shit, because it meant two very different things when I said it versus what the other doctor said. Because when I said it, the crisis was over. And when she said it, the crisis had just begun. Oh. oh, so when I said it, 
everyone could settle down. But when she said it, everyone needed to come running. So we had to have an actual team meeting over what to do when each doctor said, oh, holy shit. Donna, so. that story went away that I did that that surprised me and it made me happy that it surprised me with the two different ways because I was like oh. And was distinctly on brand. It wasn't yes, like a complete huh? non sequitur. Yeah, it was yeah, both yeah. surprising and comforting at the same time. So that's also useful information for you to know if you ever hear me go, Oh, holy shit. Know that there has been a crisis, but the and crisis it. has resolved. Cool. All right. Well, Mac, you have our quote. I do indeed. Uh, get out of here, you bastard. I'll burn you. I'll fry you up. Or fry you. No up. There's no up in there. I'm Drew Barrymore, and I'm going to cut the last word out of that quote. Let me try it again. Get out of here, you bastard. I'll burn you up. I'll fry you. There wasn't up, and it was earlier, and I got it mixed up in my syntax. <laughs> Let me get you a drink. Yes, Let me get you a drink. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no. <laughs> I'll fry you. <laughs> I'll fry all you. Don't you know who my grandfather is? <laughs> Honest to gosh, it's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, I have our rule um, and no one will be surprised by it. So just so we're clear, uh, don't listen to fake indigenous men. Mm-hmm. White men wearing too much bronzer. Don't listen to them. Yeah. The, the degree of believability of a white man is inverse to the amount of turquoise he is wearing. <laughs> Mac. <sighs> oh shit. Oh fuck. That's great. That's great. Chef kiss. <laughs> All right. And Mac, you have our poll. What do you think happened after the small child strolled into the New York Times? That can be an immediate thing. That can be a generally what happened in the world in the years and decades to follow. And this would omit the early 2000s uh, miniseries that Cass bravely braved uh, oh, where, yeah. where, where we would not. <laughs> no, but we won't talk about it. It's, it no, 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 I can't. I'm giving Cass only, a round my of only question. My only question, since I haven't seen it, how much okay. turquoise is Malcolm McDowell wearing? Uh, so he's a white man that just happens to have the name Rainbird that no one questions and is like, okay, looks like a Star Trek villain. So it's just like they got and rid of that pretty part. Pretty good guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he just has like a black and black suit, and it's just like I want to look into the face of God and be destroyed by God. And it's like, okay, okay, sounds right. fun. <laughs> he, he he actually did use his uh, wardrobe from Star Trek Generations. I'm, I'm hearing, so that I works. Yeah. Convinced. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> All right. Good job, Malcolm. I'm good. Thanks, buddy. Back to our question. Back to our question. Yeah. Um, I do agree. I think she has to display her powers when she gets mm-hmm. there. Like it is, and then I foresee a whole expose stories about her and photographing her powers, and then it just. Uh, but like, and I may be grafting our own current uh, culture onto this. Does everyone to the right of a glass of tepid water immediately disbelieve it? Oh, I think so. it's in the New York Times. Like, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. The, my answer is definitely in the now, not 84 now. Right. Like uh-huh. that. I think it's it's a lot of stories, a lot of, you know, following her around, a lot of discrediting her ability that it's fake. And mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think I don't it does what Charlie's father hoped and the shop is leaving her alone. But now the whole world is obsessed with her. And so Mm. she's either way, she's still not getting peace. Right. And I think that may keep her safer because the the shop can't clandestinely uh, abscond with her if, if she's one of the most famous people in America for a minute. I don't know. I kind of feel the opposite. I think, well, <laughs> I did kind of laugh to be like, let's bring a fire starter into a newspaper building. Right. <laughs> like, like, it's just yeah. like another version of a barn. <laughs> like, right. sure. Let's like step away from that for a second. <laughs> but uh, wait, wait, wait. We publish all of our newspapers on cinder blocks. Everything's fine. Not in this movie. Right. Bam. <laughs> um, but I think that like, I never quite understood why an expose would make her safer. Cause I feel like if anything, yeah, maybe the shop wouldn't get control of her because it's, it's kind of murky in the movie where we're not quite sure if they're in cahoots with the government or if they're just like in like talks for like future deals and using it for like 
special ops and black ops stuff. But I always imagined that if Exposit came out, yeah, the public probably would disbelieve and certain people become obsessed and there would probably be like YouTube videos just proving her abilities. But I also think that other kinds of government officials would capture her and, and test on her and use her because how can they, how would they not? And if it's not our, if it wouldn't be like our government, I think like definitely the CIA or other shadier things that I don't even want to think about that exist. <laughs> right. Or, or is it like, since it's peak Reagan era in, in, in this movie, is it businesses? Like, is she put to commercial applications? Well, yeah, that, uh, like, I don't think yeah. she would be, I don't think she'd be free. I think if anything, like, yeah. Uh, maybe publicly should be like defamed, but I think she'd be used and abused in other ways. I don't think that'd make her any freer. I think would be freer is fake her death, which is what I, the miniseries does. The only thing I'll say about it is she's assumed to be dead. And then she lives a life as a librarian for a little bit until Rainbird comes back. Who knows? But yeah, that's the one thing I think like the only way out for her would probably be death. That There's no way she could be free and not abused with that power. That's dark. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. You know, I, if she could f- find herself a little cottage in the middle of an island, she could maybe. No, um, the problem she's going to have is with journalistic integrity, they can't just take her word and then write a giant expose. So there's a lot of variables that include yeah. how quickly can the government clean up what happened? You know, yeah. like the next day, are there still a couple hundred bodies and a burning plantation? Like, yeah, how's she not arrested for that? <laughs> is there evidence for what she has said still on the ground to back it up? Like she can start a fire for them for sure. Right. She can like, yep, here's a piece of paper. OK, it's on fire. Thank you. By the way, can I have some water? Um, <laughs> but they can't they can't just post a big expose tomorrow they've got they've got to with the story she's telling them they have got to take some time to investigate that so they've got to keep her safe for however long it takes them to investigate um but once they expose this now there's millions of people who know that there's this child um there there is some validity to the idea that once it's out there once it's not a secret anymore there is some degree of safety, but yes, I don't yeah. know that she is completely safe. She's not going to go out into the world and live a normal life like any other kid. That's just, that's not going to happen. There might um, be a, an inch more physical safety, but not a lot of peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the, uh, yeah, she's not going right to live there. a normal life. The one thing I will say is that Dr. Wanless was not wrong when puberty hits, shit's mm. going down. <laughs> Shit is going down because that pituitary gland is going to go. And I'm really curious what's going to happen. Yeah, I wonder if that I don't know too much about the upcoming Firestarter remake, but I I wonder if they're going to explore that stage of Firestarter, maybe because mm-hmm. I feel like that's where like the really cool story is. It's like at that point where the like coming of age tale where powers are getting out of control and it brings some like X-Men vibes into it and mm-hmm. like an older, a little bit of an older perspective to really actually grapple with, like, how do I deal with the fact that I can murder anyone at any time? Like, mm-hmm. which is kind of not really covered in this movie. Do we know what age um, Charlie is going to be in the upcoming one? I think she's a little bit older. I think she's maybe, she's probably about 11, maybe 11, like 11 to, yeah, that 11 to 12 age. So, I mean, it's definitely knocking on the door of the pituitary mm. gland explosion mm-hmm. or it is exploded, so to speak. What a sentence. Knocking <laughs> on the door of the pituitary gland explosion. Uh, Love it. Yeah. So, Charlie's definitely older, but, you know, kind of by a few years. So not like super okay. older. Cool. All right. Are we ready for a happy place? I am prepared. You are prepared. I, I say we let Matt go first because oh, I got stolen from Matt. <laughs> I bluffed. I bluffed and you called me. I no. did. Yes, I you did. did. Um, uh, my uh, sister and brother-in-law moved back locally here just in the last week or so. And so I got to meet my nephew for the first time and hang out with my niece for the first time as a sentient being and not a, a an infant, especially with COVID. I wasn't able to see anybody. And, and Friday night, while everybody's having dinner, I was just having fun with them we were uh 
you know, my niece was making Lego Lego noodle stew in a Tibetan a singing bowl that I had, and we were drinking it. And uh, and uh, she was playing out a melodrama between a Robbie the robot and Yoda that involved a torrid romance between the two. And it was just it was it was a delight to to play in an unhinged way like that. Mac, I would read that story. Just let your niece know. I will. And be riveted by it. I'll go next. My happy place is so uh, Friday. I get to see my family and I haven't seen them since Christmas. And I'm so excited that I get to see them, which that's my mom, my dad, my brother and Paige, who I just I love Paige. She's she's my brother's girlfriend and just a fucking delight. And also I get to see their big dog and give him lots of pets. And they have a newfie named Ute and he's a goober and it's great. <laughs> newfies are the best. So I have my, my bunny, my bunny, my sweet, sweet bunny. And she is um, a cuddler and she's a very good cuddler. And when I sleep on my side, she just flumps right up against my back. And uh, she has taken to putting her, her face right on my neck. And so I will wake up with her head right in my neck Mm -hmm. and I don't even have words for how happy that makes me. So I can just wake up and go, Oh, my bunny. bunny." And that's my happy place. And she has slept (sighs) through my saying her name about a dozen times. So at any rate, my bunny putting her head right here makes it. That's my happy place. Uh, a sentence I never thought I would say aloud this week, my Twitter DMS. <laughs> <laughs> so I can explain a little bit. I've had a, uh, yeah, I've had um, some problematic and weird work stuff happening this week and oof, has done a number on my brain. Um, but with the people that I could talk about it, like privately, I've just been super supportive and sharing resources for other things I could possibly do in the future. And that just means a lot. Cause I feel like it's one thing to say, you'll show up when, when fucked up stuff happens, that's very sexist. Uh, but it's another thing to actually be like, here are some resources I've reached out on your behalf. Here are some connections. And you're like, oh my goodness, there are some people out there, especially in the Twitter world that are like wonderful humans that um, will follow through. And I was like, that's so cool, man. I hate corporations, but like people can be pretty cool sometimes. <laughs> so that was my happy place. Well, Cass, thank you so much for coming. We, it's always a delight to have you. So always great. Uh, when you come and, and share, you know, your perspective, we love it. Uh, where can they find you? What you got going on? Um, so I'm a co-host of a horror podcast called Horror Hangover. You can find us on Twitter at horror hangover underscore. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cass underscore underscore Clark with an E. And uh, yeah, all my work's there. And hopefully I'll have some more cool gems to share with everyone soon. All right. Well, as always, we are also on Twitter at Beyond Cabin. Our Instagram is also at Beyond Cabin. We have a Facebook page, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, as well as our website, beyondthecabinthewoods.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Callista77. I'm at Dragon Goblin, no I in Goblin, on Instagram and Twitter. I am on TikTok, but I don't put any content on TikTok. So, oh, why not? I needed some bone content on TikTok. <laughs> This is my beaver skull, and this is my duck skull. And another great sentence, this is my beaver skull. <laughs> Actually, this is my weasel baculum. <laughs> I, will, I will talk at length about weasel baculums. <laughs> I could do that. I could totally do that. You, you could, Donna, and you would actually probably have a million TikTok followers just about your skulls, especially the baculums. I just want you to know, like, this may be an untapped resource for you yeah, but just, to be clear, just to be clear the baculum is not in the skull right oh no okay i got no, 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 no. did you just ask if the penis bone is in the skull <laughs> kenzie was equating the two that the that the, the channel would be here are all my skulls okay, and so mac, ba- mac needs this channel for clarification oh, yeah. <laughs> i did one time send me a little baggie that said assorted phalanges and the the baggie did not have phalanges in it, and I had to write them an angry note. Okay, but but your TikTok handle is now assorted phalanges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, doctor assorted phalanges. You, I want, I want, I want Donna to have that that doctor in front of it. So, doctor assorted phalanges. That is your new TikTok handle. <laughs> 
with the with the with the sub tag. These are not phalanges. Yeah, <laughs> these are tarsals. Damn it! <laughs> All right, Mac. Where can they find you? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, on Twitter at Party Apocalypse, uh, I am co-hosting a Hannibal Lecter podcast. It's premiere episode. This is airing on a Friday, so the premiere episode posted this past Monday. Friendables, two friends talking about Hannibal Lecter. I'm also on uh, The Holodeck is Broken, a Star Trek rewatch podcast. God help me if I get on another podcast. Uh, But you can also find more information about books, blogs, uh, and the podcasts that are completed at uh, my website, partyapocalypse.com. All right. As always, a big shout out to our editor, Billy. Thank you. Hey, Billy. You make us sound so great, and we're always thankful for it. Uh, Also, listeners, we couldn't do this without you. I mean, we could, but then it'd kind of be boring. And so we do appreciate that you do take the time to listen to just a bunch of friends, just have a good time and talk about scary movies. So thank you for that. We we appreciate it. And, you know, if you're so inclined, leave a review. We're not going to be mad at it. Tell your friends. Like, subscribe, and share. Oh, and don't read the lab. You know what horror is?